0: You're listening to Have Mike, will Travel with Elizabeth Santry.
1: Hi, I'm Elizabeth. Welcome to the show. This podcast is about creativity, the professional aspects of creativity. You could also say it's about creative thinking. You see, a career in a creative profession typically means carving your own path and making a lot of important decisions alone. And when competition is fierce and the market's uncertain, getting first-hand insight can really help. Join me as I interview full-time creative professionals and ask them to reflect on these really important moments in their career. Each episode, my guests open up about significant and sometimes even subtle choices that have led to their success. I know it can feel lonely out there, so I hope you find their stories as inspiring as I do. I'm in Toronto and I'm having lunch at the Kensington Market. It's full of people, live music, and what seems like food from all over the world. My trip was really short, and I didn't really get a big chance to explore, but in the little time that I was there, I was feeling this kind of neighborhood-centric vibe, which I love. I love cities that are like that, communities that take pride in who they are and stay really close to one another. And that's a perfect segue to introduce my next guest, Sheila Sympath. She is a designer, an author, an editor, a teacher, and a leader. And this is the type of person who makes her work based on building and sustaining healthy communities. Her work is particularly focused around justice, whether it's providing a sense of belonging or you know, supporting radical ideas that are actually bringing healthy change to an environment. She invited me to her home and she sat down and shared her story. I've never done this before in an intro, but I sincerely encourage you to pause this episode and look her up. She's a well-documented person online and has tons of work to look at. She's opened the public. It's an activist design studio specializing in changing the world. They're doing amazing work there, and I genuinely hope that if you get a chance to look her up and research who she is, you'll have a better understanding of her words, and it'll make a stronger impact. I think you'll appreciate it. I hope you enjoy this episode. Sheila, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate I really appreciate you making time.:
0: Oh, thank you. <laughs>
1: you seem very, very busy because what I love about you being on the show is that you're a very, very productive person. Well at least it seems that way you make a lot and have a lot to offer. Thank you. <laughs> So I was hoping to maybe do something a little different. I do want to hear your professional path, and we're definitely going to get to that. I'd love to hear the decisions that people make and why they go to certain schools or how they got their jobs and how they're carving out their path. But I was hoping to, you know, encourage the audience to kind of look you up. I've never done this before, actually, to sort of (laughs) say to the audience, hey, there's a lot out there that you're really easy to uh, research online. You've got a lot of documentation and a lot of work. Because you're so damn productive. It's really <laughs> great. That sort of takes the pressure off. If we can, at some point, you know, and I'll I'll bookmark this, to get into, like, subtle, really specific questions about you and subtle, subtle things that might not come up in the typical kind of PR storytelling mm-hmm. of you thing. So, but let's just get started with um, with Toronto. So where are you from and uh, what brought you specifically here?
0: Yeah, um, so I'm actually from just outside of Toronto. There's, like, this suburb... Uh, called Mississauga, which is where I was born, and um, I spent a lot of time uh, there as a child, and I kind of went back and forth between uh, Mississauga and um, a town called Madras, which is in India. It's now called Chennai because of uh, decolonizing name changes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I spent um, my childhood, I guess, split between those two cities. And I moved to Toronto for school when I was 18. Yeah, and that was specifically to go to school. Um, I went to University of Toronto, which I'll t- t- probably talk about more a bit later. How, so how long have you been here? In so I've been here for 15 years. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just kind of never left after after university. And then I went to college after university. So I just kind of stuck around i like it here a lot it's a really really beautiful town um it's i think i think toronto is kind of one of those cities where when you live in it for a certain amount of time you go through these cycles of like hating it and loving it and hating it and loving it but it's got this really like interesting feel to it like it's kind of inaccessible in all these ways there's like it can be a really conservative city it can be a really disappointing city um but within that you can find a lot of resistance and you can find a lot of community and there's just like tons and tons of beauty to sort of be had here growing up in a suburb um mississauga like the demographic of mississauga has changed quite a bit it's like there's like a lot of people of color there now there's a lot of different kinds of people there now which is really really wonderful When I was growing up there, the neighborhood that I was in specifically and the schools I went to specifically just were not like that. So I found those experiences really alienating. Like, it was just this very lonely existence. Like, you walk down the street and... You don't see anyone because it's a suburb. Or you, like, our family lived in the same house for, like, 20 years and our neighbors refused to acknowledge us. Like, just, like, really, I mean, like, they're not uncommon stories for people that grow up um, around people who don't look like them, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, like, you know, people deal with that in really different ways. But for me, I have always kind of been really, like, thirsty or hungry or needing, like, a sense of familiarity and for me, familiarity kind of brings a sense of safety and belonging. And, like, those are feelings that I just really need to have in my life. And Toronto was sort of one of the first places where I had that. So part of me staying here is a bit of a fear of losing that or having to recreate it, to right. be honest. I'm not as brave as a lot of other people. What if that it can... ain't broke, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I think the thing that's exciting about Toronto is that it ha- it's – A big enough city, or it's a small enough city that you can have that in different places, like, especially the neighborhood I live in. It's, like, this really, like, old-timey small town in this bigger city, and you get that sort of small town feeling in this neighborhood, but also in different communities, right? Like, activist communities, feminist communities, POC communities, whatever that may be. But it's all sitting within this, like, pretty, like, vibrant and, like, cosmopolitan big city. Like, we're a pretty large city for, you know, for... Canada I guess Mm -hmm. um just you know its own little scale but because of that you get to you don't feel the entrapment of that right so I mean a lot of folks I know that were raised in small towns just seem to feel really smothered by that and I think there's this really lovely combination where you can like people know your business and I I actually really like that people know my business I really like being able to walk into a store and everyone's either a friend or a friend of a friend or like being able to go to a bar and like everyone's a friend or a friend of a friend and like there's never really more than one degree of separation between two people here. But then, you know, every year brings new people in and every year some people leave. And so there's... It's still fluid. Like, it's not this, like, stagnant, familiar pool that, you know, it's just this lovely kind of thing where you get... You kind of get the best of both worlds. And, yeah, for me, that sort of acquaintanceship with every... With everybody in town is just, like... It's so meaningful to me. And, yeah, and just... I don't know. I mean, I think there's something that comes from the city that has bad weather. It's like this thing that we all share or like something comes from a city where we have like a ridiculously confusing ex-mayor, right? Like there's like a lot of weird things that kind of happen either to this town or in this town where I think actually kind of solidify us in like kind of exciting ways. And so, yeah, it's kind of, I don't know. I just like it here.
1: That's interesting. I appreciate you taking the time to describe because I, you know, I love traveling and I love trying to understand a city and kind of like wrap my head around it. And this has been an exceedingly short trip that I haven't really, Mm. I'm still vibing and still processing and not really, I haven't come up with an opinion or or a a clear observation. So I really appreciate kind of getting some insight. But But I think uh, it's important to bring this up because I think when people make the decision to move to where they think they belong to find their people or to find their purpose, you know, um, often people move away from their hometown to explore somewhere else as an adult. Um, I've found people asking, like, how long is enough to know that you're, you know, if you like it or not, things like that, because it can be hard. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, even, it doesn't have to be a young person's game to to move to a new city. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it can be challenging to know if you've given it enough time, mm-hmm. if it's the right fit, how long should you wait to know it's the right fit. So that's why I like bringing yeah. this stuff up, because I think professionally a lot of people consider moving. Yeah. Like,
0: I moved here in the early, like, late 90s, early 2000s, like, 99, right? right? Like, the end of 99. So it was just, like, I mean I think also people just interacted with space really differently, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so you
1: got two big major contributors. You got age yeah. and this youthful sort of like, you know like I'm never just, gonna die. Yeah, excited for so life. Excited. <laughs> and like, then yeah. the functionality of people just functioning different I get what you're saying. Yeah, for sure. Yeah,
0: but I mean I, I do think that for all of the hard things that Toronto has, I mean I think because it is a hard city, people when they find community, that community is like a community that really supports that, like, supports people to survive within that Mm -hmm. difficulty, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, people help each other find housing, people have really cool, like, yeah, like, collective houses here, people, like, find really radical ways of, you know, making the city easier to live in, Mm -hmm. and so, I mean, there's always sort of that side to it, too, right? I think it's just, I don't know how hard it would be to connect to that as a new person Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now.
1: Yeah. yeah. You're like, not my problem. No, <laughs> no. I, I no, it, it is my problem. I actually
0: think about it a lot, right? Because, I mean, most of my communities are activist communities. Right. I was right? on No, no, no. But I'm glad you brought it up because it's something that I think about a lot, right? It's like, is this idea of how do you bring people into spaces, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like a lot of what we try to do with Shameless or even at the public and right. things like that is like create spaces that people feel safe and comfortable in. You
1: have to think as a person who's not in accepted, you know, and what it's like, so that you can show them the light of, like, this is where we are, come, you know. Yeah, exactly,
0: and, like, how do you maintain the integrity or, like, the spirit of those spaces while also being open to change and open to new people, and, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, especially political communities, like, a lot of those come from places of trauma and places of distrust and things like that, so how do you build those communities in radical ways that allow them to grow and Mm -hmm. include new people, Mm -hmm. right? So... Yeah, it is my problem, it's just, it's hard, like, it's hard to, yeah, to kind of, yeah, it's something I think about a lot.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love talking to you about it. What I love is that you have so many different tasks and and skills, and maybe even use the word identities, that you do, what was the process of recognizing them? Like, what came first? Did music come first? Did, like, political awareness, or, do you know what I mean? I want to know, like, the path, and, um, because it becomes almost like finding yourself, and I think that's the journey that everybody's on, and, uh you know, knowing when you're good at something, knowing when you're passionate about something with it, and when it's the time to try to make it your career and your profession.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, I think the process was pretty organic. You know, I come from a South Asian household. I actually went to school for computer engineering, right? I'm good at math. Um, (laughs) The stereotype is true. I'm very, very good at math, and I'm very good at science. And so, Um, I got into this like weirdly competitive like computer engineering program at U of T. It was like a class of maybe like 60 people, like two girls. Mm. And that's why I moved to the city. Like that's what I moved here to do. Um, I went into that because it was the thing that I was supposed to do. Right. So that's kind of what I came, like I didn't really give a lot of thought to career choices when I was a teenager. I didn't give a lot of thought to activism actually when I was a teenager. I, I mean, I think that this kind of goes against a lot of advice where it's like, find what you want to do and then go for it. I think that what I ended up wanting to do and what I ended up, to, what I do now actually ended up finding me. And I, I know that that sort of passive Acceptance of that is very not cool, or I don't know if it's uncool, but it's not very popular right now. Okay. There's like a lot of like yeah, do what you love, find right. your find your heart, whatever. Exactly, because I feel like what
1: it what it suggests is that maybe like that maybe a you're not in control of it, and you know I think that's what frightens people when they feel like they're not in control of their narrative of what's going to happen next and da, da, da and how it's all going to play out.
0: Yeah, I mean I think it's it's really flattering for you to say that I'm good at a lot of things. <laughs> I think that the thing that I'm good at is um, surviving I guess and the thing that I'm good at is working really hard right mm-hmm. like I know that no matter what situation I'm in I can I'm a good problem solver I'm a good survivor and I'm a good worker right like I just have a lot of diligence and there's never really been a problem that I like there where I'm like oh like there's nothing to do about this problem mm-hmm. like you know wow. what I mean so I mean you know maybe like feelings stuff right. But, not, even that, like, I'm pretty good at solving problems, so that, that's the one, like, that's what I'm good at, right, this sort of passive, active thing is made a little easier in a way, because I know that I, if I try something, not that I'm going to be great at it, but I'm going to figure out how to make it work, if Mm -hmm. I need to make it work, right, Mm -hmm. no, exactly, like, the worst case scenario is that it was a mistake, and I'll figure it out, and, I wouldn't necessarily do that now, but when I was 18, those kinds of decisions, you just have so much time to figure it out, and I know that I'm going to be okay because I was okay up until that point, and because what made me okay was this, like, capacity to solve problems and, like figure, like navigate new things. Right, right. right. So, I mean, in terms of sort of finding my career identity through career, it was a little bit, yeah, like it was like a lot of stuff that sort of happened to me. So about two weeks before I moved to Toronto, I was assaulted and that was shitty and confusing. And I moved to the city and was, like, kind of navigating new friends, new school, this weird program that I, after two weeks, or after one day, I realized (laughs) I hated, like, I hated, like, I hated engineering. I hated being around engineers. It's like, I mean, I come from a long line of engineers, so, you know, no offense to any of them. So it's this weird culture. And it was just this, like, I remember kind of sitting in class and just being like, I, at the end of this, I'm going to, like, I'm going to do this four-year program, I'm going to have this degree, and then I'm going to do what I'm doing now for work, and I hate what I'm doing now. Mm. I don't want to wake up in the morning and solve problems that are so boring to me, like, they're just boring problems, and I think think those problems get more interesting as you move on, Mm -hmm. but... I don't think I necessarily had the foresight to think about that, Mm -hmm. and so I quit engineering, and then I moved into, like, I was like, I like feelings, so I'll do, and I like math, and I like how, I like brains, so I went, I moved into artificial intelligence and cognitive science, which is still, it has the word science in it. (laughs) But, you know, it's also philosophy and sociology and psychology and math. It's, like, a lot of cool things and computers and stuff. So I was sort of in that program. And then while I was in that program, I was kind of trying to come to terms with the assault and figuring out how to navigate that and just what am I going to do with this, like, thing that happened in my life. Mm -hmm. So I was going for counseling at the Peel Rape Crisis Center, which is in Mississauga. I don't know why I kept going back to Mississauga. I, like, took this, like... I mean, this is really hard to get to mm-hmm. by transit because it's a, su- even though it's so close, it's a separate transit system. And then my first year was over, um, there's sort of two parallel stories here, and then my counseling was over. And so I was like, hey, I'm great now. Solve that problem. Finish that year, whatever. And so I thought that a good thing for me to do would be to become a counselor. To like, I was like, this is a great free service. I will give a great free service and then, like, just wrap it up and, like, tie it up in a bow and, like, karma, everything's mm. done, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went for a training at the Toronto Rape Crisis Centre, and it was just the most, like, transformative experience of my life, like, I mean, like, all of these events had kind of brought me to this place, and at that time I had seen violence and, you know, whether that's, like, gender-based violence or racism or colonialism or any, like, whatever any other isms, Mm -hmm. right? I saw I had seen all of those things as incidental things, right? So when someone like throws a racial slur at you or tries to hit you with their car or whatever people do, I'm like, oh, that's a bad person and they're doing a bad thing and that's that. And I think like that moment, that night, that one night at the TRCC was like really transformative. It just it just sort of taught me that things are systemic, right? Which is such a basic tenet and like kids know this at like 13 younger, at 10 years old, like, children know it. It was just, it had never really come into my radar before, right? And hearing that a system was designed to hurt people was angering for sure but it was also really empowering because it wasn't this like why are there bad people why do they do bad things it was like oh no there's this like system that's designed to fail so we can just redesign it like that's all we have to do is just reimagine it redesign it no problem for me that's kind of like how I saw like that and that kind of is what made me fall in love with activism Mm -hmm. that type of work is so vital and so important and i i think i have a lot to learn before i can kind of do it again and maybe that is something that i'll try to do again but like healing is a process trauma is a process it's not something where it's like okay like let's see each other 10 times or let's talk for 20 minutes and like at the end of this you will get xyz like it Mm -hmm. doesn't work that way So I was doing that kind of work and then I I did love it because you have this like, I mean speaking specifically about the Toronto Rape Crisis Centre you have this non-hierarchical organization that's like run by like queer women of colour and trans people. You have people supporting each other in these radical ways, calling each other in teaching each other new things and just like building something from a place of like love, right? Mm -hmm. And that love and the thing that they all share is that love. And the other thing that they share is anger and rage and trauma. Mm-hmm. But they've transformed it mm-hmm. into this, like, really beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, it's just wonderful. So, overall, like, I think I got more from it than... Yeah, there's a balance.
1: Yeah, balance. Okay. yeah. And yeah. it's,
0: like, it's really exciting work. But, yeah, while I was there, I... we. I was co-organizing Take Back the Night, which is, it happens all over the world, but it's an annual rally in March for, against violence against women and trans people and children. And I made a poster for it. I was like, I think I'm going to, I'm going to make the poster. That's what I said I was going to do. Um, so I downloaded a pirated copy of Photoshop and I made this horrific poster. <laughs> like, it is so bad. It was like this silhouette of like Angela Davis like yelling into a megaphone and it was like so much distressed type I think it was like pixelated but it was I it was like the first time I'd ever really made anything like that Mm -hmm. and it was so much fun right and so again like I wasn't good at it one of the things you said was like oh how do you know when you're good at something and I don't I wasn't good at it. I wasn't a good designer. Like, I'm not this, like, naturally artistic person Mm -hmm. that... And I I don't think you need to be. I think it works out in a way that people end up... Like, the thing that you love happens to be the thing that you're good at, right? And I think that that's because we stop doing things we're bad at. Because it doesn't feel good to be bad at something. Like, that's actually not something that feels very good. So we do the things we're good at, and then one of those things we're like, I guess this is what I love to do, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think for me, it wasn't really like that. I'm not, I wasn't, I am a good, I think I'm a good designer now, or I'm an okay designer. I wasn't a good designer, did not come naturally to me. I didn't have like, I don't have this like amazing illustrative talent. I had to really work at it, but I think what I loved was working at it. Like, at that time I enjoyed sitting at a computer and trying to think of like what could be an image that could bring all these people together. I loved showing it to folks at the TRCC and seeing how happy they were to have something that to them at the time was really beautiful for them, right? Mm-hmm. The bar was really low. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, it was really low. It's
1: the best place to start. <laughs> yeah. And so
0: it was like I got this, like, encouragement and I got this love and this excitement. And then going to Take Back the Night and seeing all these people come together, which may or may not have been in part because of this, like, thing that I made And for a whole bunch of other reasons that had nothing to do with this thing that I made, right? It was just this connection between, like, making and community building was, like, so exciting to me. Where it's like, oh, I made this thing, and people saw the thing, and they came to the thing, Mm -hmm. right? All these things come together, right? And then the act of making itself was so meditative. This work where you get to kind of think about, like, what does this event mean as an organizer and as, like, a survivor of violence? What does this event mean to me? right, and you're taking that and then trying to transform it, like, through making, which, and then that process is, like, an act of healing, right, and it's an act of strength and an act of, like, the communication's a really powerful thing, right, and it's a really important thing, and so, yeah, all those things kind of came together, and so, yeah, I went back to school as soon as I graduated from U of T. I went back to school for graphic design with the explicit intent of doing political work with it at that point. Okay. Because I knew that I wanted to do. It shaped. Yeah, that, that piece of it had mm-hmm. shaped. Yeah.
1: Right? Well, I think uh, I might be putting words in your mouth. Feel free to correct me. But I, I feel like a contributor towards your success or just towards your story seems to be like it's about like the work ethic. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's not the thing that you're looking at. You we watch a machine and you watch the cogs turn. And the, and sometimes you think it's the handle that's the source of all the power that's making the machine work. And sometimes it's not the part that you're looking at. So maybe on the outside people can look at, you know, thinking that you've, like you said, thinking that you've been creative your whole life. And, da, 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 and this was a natural progression from age 12. And really, that's not really the story. But the driving force, it seems to be that, you have a personal commitment to do well and that was the drive maybe the driving force to just keep at something that you said you didn't feel good at because you were new at it, but you know, it was a component to, to drive you.
0: I think I definitely have like an intense workout, thing, which I got from my, you know, my immigrant parents, right? Like it's that's survival. But I actually think that more than that, the driving force is this inherent belief in connection, right? And I know you you spoke about that earlier. Um, about like the connections that people have with other people, like through podcasts and through like or through walking in a room and picking yeah. up energy—the comfort like of that. knowing
1: someone else in that way—that makes yeah. you your anxiety and, come down. And <laughs> I
0: think for me, the the piece around like what drives my work is that I see a really like for me understanding how the world works and the comfort that I get through connections is through this idea that like really big things are connected to really really small things, mm. right? And so, like, when it comes to activism and politics, it's, like, that low self-esteem you felt as, like, a kid, right? Like, when you're, like, 13 and you are crying because you don't feel good about your body or yourself or, you know, your unibrow or whatever, Mm -hmm. right? Like, that's a really small thing in a very big world, right? But that's connected to, like, legacies of, like colonialism and racism and gender and sex like it's connected to all these huge huge structures of like capitalism right it's like it's intense right and then all of those big things can also get pulled back again into small things like through the act of making right so you can connect like kind of you can you can be this individual that connects to this huge system and then that system impacts you and you impact and like that relationship like it's so interesting to me right and it's like it's interesting and it is so invigorating and it's beautiful and it's terrifying but it makes these like really large things feel manageable Mm -hmm. right and it makes these really small feelings that actually feel really big Mm -hmm. it makes them it like abstracts them so you can work on them and then it pulls them back so you can feel them
1: Mm -hmm. I love knowing what people associate uh, or define success and what that means especially like right now because I think it's a fluid concept I think as you shift and grow and experience things, you have a different perception of what equals success, what is success, how you define it in your life. So what is it now? I mean what does that feel like? I mean, you can use it it could be a feeling answer or it can be a more you know obvious or just more analytical answer
0: yeah, it's definitely a feelings answer. Success is really complicated, right? And I think it's interesting. So there's sort of this thing that happened where my work didn't change for a long. I mean, it's grown like kind of the way work grows and it's, you know, matured the way work matures, but the heart and the root of it actually hasn't changed for ever. Like it's kind of always been the same thing at its heart, but it's become very, uh, I don't know if fashionable is the right word, but... Like, people who aren't in that world want to talk to me about it a lot more than they did before. Ah. And I'm fine with that. I think it's exciting, and I think it's a way of bringing people into something that they're not, like, yes, there's no, like, resentment or weirdness around it. Right, right. But what is interesting to me is that, like, the work has kind of always been the same, but the fact that other people are recognizing it is, like, what makes it sort of successful, Right. And that makes me really uncomfortable. Like, it makes me uncomfortable in this, like, very, like, petty, like, teenage way, right? Where, like, I go back to being this, like, gawky 17-year-old, and then all of a sudden I was a gawky, like, 19-year-old, and nothing changed, but gawky became kind of cool, right? (laughs) Or, like, dorky became kind of cool. But it's like, you're the same person, or your work is the same. So it's like, it's kind of like the same thing, right? So for me, that kind of success is very arbitrary. It's a success that I'm a little uncomfortable with because my work isn't mine, right? Like, I think it's easy for other people to be like, well, your name's on it, so it's yours or whatever. But, you know, the work is a culmination of the world that I'm in, It's a confluence, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I work, like, at The Public, for example, I work with Natalia and Annabelle and, and they're just amazing, amazing, dynamic people, right, and maybe they don't talk as much about the work, or because I've been doing it longer, or I at the studio, like, I get recognition for it, right, but the work, even if they're not touching a project that I'm working on, it only happens because they exist, Mm -hmm. right, and so success is, like, kind of a weird thing, it's, like, an awkward thing for me, like, that kind of success is -hmm, awkward, mm -hmm. right, or, like, even with Shameless, it's, like, I know that I've done a lot for Shameless, like, and I'm really proud of what I've done for Shameless, but also Shameless wouldn't exist without 20 other people, right? Mm -hmm. So I can't claim it as, like, my success, Mm -hmm. right? But I think the thing that I can sort of feel good about, right, and the thing that I, the way I sort of define success is that community that comes from those projects. Two years ago, the public had a fifth birthday party, and it was like, 300 people, and it was like our friends, and our, like, our friends are our community, and it was our clients, and our clients are our community, right? Like we don't, there's not really these separations. We work with our friends, we work with our community, right? And these are communities we're a part of, and it was just like a really good party. Like it was fun, and it was there was so much love, and it was like this thing that I built is like belongs. Like I, I just, I, there was this moment when I realized like it doesn't just belong to me, and it doesn't just belong to like. The three four five people working there it belongs to like all these people and that's like super successful to me
1: but I did want to just say uh, what I'd like to do is give you the opportunity to talk about something very very specific that you want to talk about as a way just to get it in
0: yeah I mean I think in terms of what I'm working on um, and will be working on is just sort of engaging in this ongoing process of like trying to find better ways of doing work and ultimately finding ways of trying to make this work irrelevant, right? Like, I think that's a really big part of social justice work is you can't cling to it, right? Mm. Um, it's problematic to cling to it. Like, if you want to keep doing social justice work, it sort of means you want to keep, you want to sort of see problems perpetuate and so have see. a purpose, right? Right. So, I mean, a long-term goal is to not live in a world where this work is necessary, mm-hmm. right? Like I would love to see like 10 other magazines like Shameless so that Shameless doesn't have to exist. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to see there not being a need for nonprofits mm-hmm. or social justice groups so the public doesn't have to exist. And, you know, short of that, I'd like to see everyone tap into their own already existing design skills and talents and lived experience and knowledge to like create really dynamic and amazing work so that you don't have to. You don't have to rely on us to do it, right? It's so
1: interesting what you're describing because it's almost like you're trying to always keep yourself prepared to completely get out of gear and shift in something else. Meaning you're willing, you're working to destruct, um, deconstruct a system, and at any time that it actually worked out that you were able to yeah. create this, that you're ready to be in the new system and perform completely differently because. You, because that's the purpose of it, is that you function differently, everything would work differently. That's really interesting Yeah, that's, exa-
0: that's exactly what it is, right? And so, it's like, I like the work that I'm doing in the world that we're in, right? So, given the world that we're in, I want to keep doing this work. Yeah, I mean, I often ask my coworkers, like, what would you do if you didn't do this, right? And, like, that answer changes week to week. Some of those things are work things, some of them are leisure things, and, you know, maybe we'll live in a world where those two things are the same, or there isn't whatever, right? And I think it's, like, a question that, like, for me is an important one to keep asking myself, even if it's constantly changing. Mm-hmm. It's not that you're working towards that goal. Right. But you're imagining the world post-revolution, yes. right? And if you can't do that, then maybe you're not really working for the revolution. Gotcha. You know? But it is it is one of those things where, like, I think we have to, you know, there's sort of different ways of looking at social justice. You can look at it as being reactive, right? Uh-huh. So or you can look at it as being imaginative, mm-hmm. right? And like, so so much of it is about dismantling. Like, let's dismantle this system, let's dismantle this world. And we're so busy, you know, just even fighting to survive enough to dismantle a little bit that we don't always have time to sit back and imagine the world we want, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean... Design is so exciting for that. Like, I teach classes in speculative and alternative and speculative practices. And so there's all these types of design that, like, allow for that to happen. You know, I, I like thinking about that world a lot, right? And I like kind of being prepared. I mean, not being prepared in this, like, preparation, preparation kind of way, but being mentally excited about the thought of, you know, not doing right work so i think like in terms of like what's next i don't know and i don't want to know right okay i mean i think as long as there's shit happening in the world i'd like to keep trying to fight that in some way like collaboratively or whatever i think that can look different as you know needs and stuff change like it could be design or it could be like you know i really like we really want to have a kid so maybe like that like you know Like, radical activism will be child-rearing, like, and Mm -hmm. doing that in an exciting way, and I'm Mm -hmm. really open to that. Or maybe Mm -hmm. it would be, like, radical gardening Mm -hmm. or radical whatever, just, you know, whatever that is, right? But, I mean, as long as things are kind of going the way they're going, I want these projects to do well, and Mm -hmm. I want them to – and for me right now, doing well means, like, finding ways that them – sustaining without me too Mm
1: -hmm. I think that's a great I've loved sitting and talking with you I really really appreciate your time and inviting me into your space thank you so much yeah
0: no problem sorry about this little guy (laughs)
1: that is quite possibly the largest cat I've ever seen in my life yeah
0: he's a 20 pound cat he's so big he's just a little troublemaker you're listening to Have Mike Will Travel with Elizabeth Santry